Tonight, uh, please keep your Bibles open there at Romans 9, that's the passage we're going to look at together a little bit later on, but we're going to look at a heap of Bible passages, so the most helpful thing you can have is that in front of you, so if you didn't get one on the way in, put up your hand now and one of our lovely ushers, as they were called before, will come and get one to you, Uh, and awesome verses and things will also come up on the screen. Is that me making those noises? Anyway. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the darkness. Uh, We thank you that you have revealed yourself and your plans to us through your word and most wonderfully in your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And Father, tonight we pray that you will give us uh, humility before your word and we pray that you will help us to trust it above all other things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, we're taking a break from our series in John's Gospel for last week and this week uh, for our Can I Really Ask That series. Uh, But we've got so many questions in, we're going to have like a few of these little two-week mini-series over the course of the year. So if your questions have not yet been answered, uh, patience and later in the year. Uh, And today's talk, I'm aiming to cover a part of the area where there was the most amount of questions Uh, I'll probably have to come back to do another talk later in the year, and it's that whole issue of God's sovereignty, that whole issue of the fact that God is in control of all things, and what does that mean for us and our decisions, and so forth. Uh, And the particular questions that came in uh, that I want to deal with tonight, these are some of those questions, so I'll read them out for you. Uh, One person asked, I know that God chooses people for salvation, but how do I know that I am chosen? It's a great question. Uh, Another person asked, can people fall away from being Christians? Uh, And then another person asked, how do I know that my faith is real? Uh, So they're questions about us and how do we fit in in God's plan. But then people ask questions about other people, you know, what do we do with people who used to be Christians but who don't follow Jesus anymore? And then another person said, is it true when people say, once saved, always saved? And uh, these are great questions that we're thinking about tonight and so I'm really excited to be able to do this talk because it gives me the chance to explain and talk about one of the great promises of Scripture. Uh, It gives me the chance to talk about one of the most wonderful truths, it's the doctrine that gets called the perseverance of the saints. That's what we're talking about tonight. When 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 it says saints, it doesn't mean people with rings around their heads, it's talking about Christians, people who truly believe Christ. And this is a doctrine that gets called the perseverance of the saints. And it's this truth that gives us this incredible assurance because it says that God will not let any of His children go. God will not let any of His children go. Now, it's only a a fool who tries to uh, put the promises of God in order and sort of say, oh, this is my favourite promise of God. Uh, Because if you think about it, you know, how can you... How can you sort of order how wonderful it is that Christ died for our sins or that Christ rose from the dead and so we have the hope of eternal life or that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes and and regenerates us. Uh, If if you sort of say, this is my favourite doctor, it's a bit like saying, this is my favourite child. Uh, Just a hint, that is not good parenting. Uh, You can come and talk to me afterwards if you believe your parents did that. But anyway, uh, but at risk of being a fool tonight, Uh, This is the truth of Scripture that as a pastor, I love more than any other. Uh, This is the truth of Scripture that as someone who has been given 
this incredible privilege but this incredible responsibility of being a shepherd of souls, uh, I value this more than any other. Because once in a while, I talk to people who I know they know Jesus, but they are really struggling. And they are going through horrible things in their life. And I know they know Jesus, but they are worried about their salvation. They say, I'm struggling to pray. I'm struggling to find any, any joy in the gospel. Uh, I'm worried that as I go through this time of trial, that I might give up on Jesus, that, that I might lose my salvation. And to that person, I love the fact that I can open up these words of Jesus that come from the screen in John chapter 10. It says, I give, this is Jesus talking, I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I love those words because I can then say to that person, remember this, ultimately it is not your strength that keeps you connected to Christ. Ultimately, it's not your strength that helps you persevere and and keep going to the end. It is God's strength. And Jesus has promised you, I will not let you go. If you are weak, I am strong. And I think that is the most wonderful promise. But of course, it raises questions and it's a complex doctrine. Uh, So today, I want to talk about what this promise does say and what it doesn't say. And then I want to think through the pastoral implications. I'm going to just sort of list out several questions that have come in and answer them after I've sort of set out the doctrine first. You see, what this promise doesn't say is that every church member is certain to be in heaven. And what this promise doesn't say is that every person here tonight is certain to be in heaven. And it doesn't say that every person who has ever called themselves a Christian or every person who has ever ticked a box at an evangelistic service uh, or every person who has even looked like a keen Christian for a time, it does not say that every one of those people is eternally secure. But what it does say is that no person who has true faith in Jesus, who has truly had the Holy Spirit open their eyes and regenerate them, no true Christian will ever fully and finally fall away from faith in Jesus, lose their salvation. And so the answer to that first question, can a person with true faith in Jesus ever fall away? The answer the Scriptures give is no. No. But it's important to get this right. It's not because of their faithfulness. It's not because of your faithfulness. It's not because of my faithfulness. It may Our faith may only be the size of a mustard seed, The basis of this promise is God's faithfulness. You see, God does not change His mind. And if God chooses us and calls us and opens our eyes to believe and trust in Jesus, then nothing can take that away. Now, this promise is just all through the Scriptures. I can't deal with every passage where this comes up because it's just overwhelming. So, I've just picked a couple of places to show it. So, our first one will come from the screen. This just shows that in the Old Testament... This is David talking, if there's ever a person who understood that God held on to him, not him on to God, it was King David, and this is what he said, he said, a man's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way, though he falls he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord holds his hand. Isn't that just such a wonderful promise? We might fall, we might slide, but we will not be overwhelmed because God is there. 
And as I say, if you know your Old Testament, didn't David know that promise? Then it's all through the New Testament. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 6. I think probably what flagged a few people to send in questions was John chapter 6. Look at what it says in verse 37. It says, Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus will never cast out or lose one of his little ones. And the final one, my favourite, is Romans chapter 8. I haven't put that on the screen because I wanted you to open your Bibles. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, at the end of our second reading from before. And it's just the most wonderful promise. If you ever want a memory verse to put on the wall, this is the one. It says, For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing, will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing at all. But the reason I chose Romans 8 as the reading is because it, more than any other passage, shows us the reason we can have this assurance. It's not because of our faith. It's not because our faith is so powerful or our faith is so strong. Faith hardly gets a mention. It's because from beginning to end, our salvation is God's work in us. You see, go back to verse 28. It's a great verse, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. But why? Because, verse 29, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is so important to understand. Your salvation did not start with you hearing someone telling you about Jesus and you deciding to trust Him. Your salvation started in God's mind before the creation of the world. That's where your salvation started. It started with God knowing you before the creation of the world. And then God setting His heart on you. And God saying, I choose Him. And I choose her. And then God working in you to call you to faith and then God declaring you are righteous through the death of my son Jesus and I love the way he even puts our future glorification in the past tense do you notice it there look at it again where he says he also glorified past tense and it's like he's saying if God has done all these other things then that is how certain it is that you will one day be in glory with Jesus I can say it's already happened that is why a true believer in Christ can never fall away. There's a whole heap of other passages you might want to go out and go to and look at later. I've listed a whole heap on your outline. I hope they're there. Uh, But I hope these passages have just been enough to show you this wonderful promise. God will not let His children fall. Now, why is this truth recorded for us and made so clear, besides the fact that it's true, that is? It's always worth asking this. What, What does the Bible do with a doctrine? Rather than sort of thinking, what do I think about this? Why, why does the Bible teach us this? And always, every time, it is there to comfort us. That's why God wants us to know this. Because God knows how weak I am. And God knows how weak you are. You see, He knows that sometimes we slip 
and sometimes we slide and sometimes our faith and strength wavers, sometimes our sin overwhelms us and we think, well, surely God couldn't love me anymore, surely He's given up on me now. But this truth is in Scripture to remind us that you do not stand by your own strength, but by God's strength. That's why it's there. And if you need that encouragement today, I pray this gives it to you. But what I want to say to you is, there will be a day when you need this encouragement. And so grasp a hold of it now. But sometimes people look at passages like we've just looked at and they say, well, that's great. Uh, I went to youth group when I was 12. I once uh, ticked a box that said I prayed a prayer when Brendan did a talk on a Friday night. Uh, I now know I can live my life however I like. I'm going to go to heaven. I'm caricaturing it, but you get my idea. Well, to that person, God says, don't be so sure. God says, you be very, very careful. So we need to see the Scriptures never see this doctrine as an encouragement to complacency. The, the Scriptures never see this doctrine as an encouragement to just say, ah, oh, well, I'm saved, see you later, I'll live however I like. And in fact, there is a whole other strand of biblical teaching that focuses on our responsibility to stand firm in the Gospel. You see, Scripture is very clear, to be saved, we have to persevere in our faith. There is no assurance for someone who said, I used to believe in Jesus, but I don't anymore. That, that person has no right and will not be saved. Look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. Thanks, Alex. It says, but the one who endures to the end will be delivered. Look at John 8, 31. It says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. More than that, there's no assurance for a person who claims to know Jesus, but does not renounce sin in their life. If a person says, I trust in Jesus, but I'm not going to repent of my sin, I'm going to keep living however I like, the Scriptures say that person does not actually trust in Jesus. And any assurance they have is a false assurance. It's a really sad thing, I think, not just in the modern church, in the church for the last 2,000 years. There are some people who have assurance who shouldn't, and there are lots of people who don't have assurance who should. And so I want to encourage you tonight to have the true assurance that matters. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. It says, Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Look at Hebrews 12, 14. It says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. That's a really important verse to get right. It's not saying you are, you are saved by pursuing holiness. You're not saved by your works. You're saved through faith in Christ. But the point is, a real and living faith will show itself in your attitude to sin and godliness. And so we need to hear the warnings of Scripture that say to us, be alert, make sure your faith is real, make sure you are genuinely trusting in Christ. We need to hear warnings like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that says, so whoever thinks, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Or 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 that says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith, examine yourselves, now that last verse, just leave it up on the screen for a while, thanks Alex, that last verse gives us the perfect point 
to turn to the real live pastoral issues and questions that flow out of this. And so the obvious first one is, you'll see them listed on your uh, outline, but you also see them come up on the screen. The first one is, well, how do I do that? How do I test my faith? Or as someone wrote in a question, how do I know that I'm chosen? How do I know that God has predestined me? How do I know my faith is real? Well, at this point, I want to say to you, it is really, really simple. It's like Paul says in Romans 10, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and do you confess it with your mouth that He rose from the dead? That's how you know that you are saved, that you are chosen. Are you someone who genuinely believes that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and He is your Lord and your Saviour? That's what it is to be saved. That is the key question. Do you trust in Jesus for your salvation? And then flowing from that, the Scriptures tell us, we will see evidence of that in our lives. And so the next question to ask is, does that show itself in your life? Over time, are you putting off ungodliness and putting on godly traits? Does your sin grieve you? Does it upset you that you sin? Are you sorry for your sin? Are you repentant? Do you want to be more holy? See, it's that attitude to sin and that desire for godliness that shows a living, real faith. See, if you don't care about your sin, if you're quite comfortable with it, if you are a hypocrite in that true sense of the word, who comes here and puts on a front for people at church, but then goes and lives a totally inconsistent life and you don't care, then be very careful because it suggests that your faith is not real. That is the false assurance people can have. But on the other hand, it's not, are you perfect? We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace through faith, never forget that. It's, what is your attitude to your sin? Not, do you sin? It's, what is your attitude to growing in godliness? Not, how much have I grown and am I perfect in Christ? You see, it's an attitude to sin that hates it and a desire to be godly that shows a true faith that God promises perseveres to the end. And can I tell you, it's not at this particular moment, it's over time. The Scriptures never encourage that sort of Christian navel-gazing that says, oh, I wonder am I in or am I out right now? That how am I feeling right now? The Scriptures never encourage you to make any decisions on the basis of how you feel at a particular point in time, because sometimes you will have moments where sin seems to have the upper hand and sometimes you will have moments where you sin and you are not sorry. You will have times where you grieve God's Spirit, where you block out the voice of God and say, I just don't want to hear, like the kid who goes, nah, to God's Word. But the question is, over time, over time, does the Spirit, through the Word of God, niggle at you? Does it grieve you? You see, how you feel at one point in time is never a good guide. And I want to tell you tonight, if that is you, if you do believe in Jesus and trust in Him for your salvation, then God wants you to have this wonderful assurance of salvation. Jesus says to you, I have given you eternal life and you will never perish, ever. No one will snatch you out of my hand. Which leads to the next question to address, which is this one. How do I persevere in my faith? 
See, I know, in, I know I trust in Jesus, so do I now just let go and let God? Have you ever heard anyone say that saying? You may have said it yourself. Can I tell you, it is probably my least favourite saying that Christians say. And when you've said it to me, oh, Phil, just let go and let God, I have cringed inside, <laughs> but because I am a polite person, I've not said something to you, but here from the front I say it to you. You see, the Christian doesn't say, well, now I just trust God to carry me to the end and I'll do whatever I like. In the Scriptures, God's sovereignty is never removed from our responsibility. You see, that's why I hate that phrase, let go and let God. Now, the Bible says, trust God and hang on for dear life. That's what the Bible says. Trust God and hang on for dear life. But even as you hang on, know that it is God at work in you, enabling you to do it. That's what the Bible says. Now, people say, how does that work? How, you know, if God is sovereign, then what, what role can I possibly have? But actually, it's actually quite obvious. And you see a really good example of it in the book of Acts. You can read this later on, Acts chapter 27. Uh, the Apostle Paul is on a ship, and it's on its way to Malta, and it's about to sink. It's a, it's a shipwreck. And everyone thinks they're going to die. And then an angel from God appears to the Apostle Paul and says to him, Do not fear, I tell you, every one of you is going to live. Now, at that point, does Paul say, Let go and let God pull out the deck chairs. Let's just sit here on the deck and wait. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, Oh, well, God's promised we we're going to live. I'm just going to stand here and wait for it to happen. He works to save the ship. And when the sailors try to abandon the ship, he warns them, don't do that. You'll die if you do. See, he doesn't let go and let God. He trusts God and that liberates him to get on with doing the things God wants him to do. This is the wonderful thing about how God works. God is in total control and the means he uses is us. You see, that's how it works. God says, I will not let anyone who truly trusts in Jesus fall away. And then he says, here I will give you the means to ensure that you don't fall away. So how does God preserve us? If you want to persevere in your faith, what should you do? It's really very, very simple. He gives us four tools. The first tool is His Word. God says, trust me and read my scriptures every day. Listen to me talk to you. He gives us the gift of prayer. He says, trust me and talk to me every day. He gives us the fellowship of believers, these people here. He says, trust me and don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And then fourthly, He gives us His Holy Spirit, who works in us to help us keep struggling against sin. He says, trust me and watch your life and doctrine closely. They are the four tools God gives us to preserve us. This week, though, I happened to be reading Charles Spurgeon, the great 18th century preacher, and he added a fifth one, which I just loved it, so I thought I'd include it. His fifth one was, avoid evil company. Isn't that a good, it's just a great way of saying it, isn't it? Avoid evil company. And what does he mean? He means, do not yoke yourself to unbelievers. You see, trust God... But how will you persevere if the voices that constantly speak into your head are voices that don't love Jesus and want to tear you down rather than lift up your faith? It's obvious, isn't it? You see, they are the human means that God uses 
to make his children persevere. But even in that, know that it is by God's strength that you do those things. Next question. Uh, this was a question that was sent in. It's, you tell me that a person with real faith can't fall away, but I know people who used to follow Jesus and now they don't. How can that be? That's not just a theoretical question, is it, for most of us? That is a deeply hurting pastoral question, if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Uh, for me, a couple of the people who are probably most instrumental in leading me to know Christ now don't know the Lord, don't follow Jesus, they've thrown it away. So how can that be if I've just said the Scriptures say a true believer in Christ cannot fall away and yet these people who I saw and who even sometimes shared the Gospel in some way with me, now don't follow Jesus, how can that be? Well, this is one of those moments where we need to let the Scriptures interpret our experience and not our experience interpret the Scriptures. Now, just in case you missed that, I am known to speak with a little bit of hyperbole and exaggeration at times, but I'm not exaggerating when I say, I will not say a more important sentence than that sentence in the next six months, other than when I'm reading the Scriptures. That's how important it is. Listen very carefully, because it is the heart of being a faithful Christian. You let the Scriptures interpret your experience rather than your experience interpret the Scriptures. What does that mean? It means you look at the world and then you look at the Scriptures and if the Scriptures say something different, you say, I must be understanding reality wrong because the Scriptures are right, not my experience. And so we change our understanding of what we've experienced to fit the Scriptures. We don't change our understanding of the Scriptures to fit our experience. And here the Scriptures say, if a person abandons the faith, then they were never really a true believer. This is very, very clear. Look at 1 John 2.19. It'll come up on the screen. It's talking about people who were teachers in the church who then abandoned the faith and tried to lead people astray. This is what it says. It says, they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. See, the reality is, if a person has real saving faith, they will persevere. And if they don't persevere, it shows that their faith was not real. Now, there are some passages in the Bible that seem to talk about people abandoning their faith and falling away, and I haven't got time to go through and deal with each of those passages. Uh, and you might, if you have questions, come and ask me or send me an email or that sort of thing. But I just... My quick answer is, when you look closely at those passages, they are either, firstly, warnings to show us why we should persevere, why we must persevere. They're either a means God uses to help us persevere. Or, they're describing people who are in the church, tasting of the Gospel, enjoying the benefits of Christ, but who are not actually regenerate, saved believers. But if there are other passages on this you come across and struggle with, send me an email, come and talk to me, I'd love to chat with you about them. But what both the Scriptures and our experience show us, and this is so important, is that a person can appear in every way to be a child of God, but prove not to be. See, there is a kind of initial 
friendliness to Jesus that looks like faith but that does not last. A warmth to Jesus and a warmth to church uh, that shows itself in zeal and excitement and involvement in the people of God but that has not truly grasped the gospel. And Jesus actually warned us that that would be the case when he was telling the disciples, you're going to go and cast the seed out, share the word of God with people. He said in in, uh, Luke 8, 13, thanks Alex, he said that some seed will fall on the rock and he says, the seed on the rock are those who when they hear, welcome the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. Who is the obvious example of that that we've seen in John's gospel already? Who's the obvious example of that sort of person? Judas. It's Judas, isn't he? See, in every way, people said Judas is a, is a Christian. Judas is a disciple of Christ. He's following him around the countryside. But in the end, he never truly believed. He never truly believed in Christ. You see, a person might talk the talk for a while. They're this close They've tasted the truth of God's Word, they've experienced the Gospel, they've experienced its effects, they might follow Jesus for a time, they might even lead youth group. But if they walk away and renounce the truth of the Gospel, it shows that their faith was not real. And to be very frank, and this is just my experience, not the Word of God, so take this not as the Word of God, this is just me talking from experience. I have found, with the benefit of hindsight, I look back at the people I've seen who have walked away and I've realised there are actually hints that they never really knew Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, that I'd sort of assumed they did, but in fact they didn't. Because they were generally either people who loved the idea that God is love, a bit like the sermon in the Royal Wedding last night, but who'd never really believed they were sinners who needed Christ to die for their sins, or they were God-fearers, frankly Pharisees, who believed in God and thought His morality was good, so they looked like Christians, but they'd never really grasped the reality of their sin and never really understood grace. The cross of Jesus wasn't actually at the centre of their faith. Often with the benefit of hindsight, you can see their faith was more a pharisaical, attitude to how you live rather than a repentant awe at the love of Jesus. That's just my experience. But that brings us to the final question on this topic, which is what do we do when a person seems to be walking away? And I love that people have asked that question because it shows that you care and love people. And to answer it, I need to say one more thing related to that last point. And that's this, not everyone who stumbles has fallen away and proven themselves to be a non-believer. The reality is that a redeemed person might stumble for a season. It's not good for you, I'm not encouraging it, but it's reality. I'm not talking about someone who denies the faith. If someone says, I do not believe Jesus is the Son of God and I do not believe He rose from the dead, then that person is not a believer. I'm talking about people who fall badly in sin or just sort of get entangled in the world just seem to lose focus and lose their love of Christ. The Scriptures are full of people who are saved, who are regenerate even, but who for long periods of time fall badly. Just think of everyone in the Old Testament, just about. 
Think of Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, who then says, I'm going to go sleep with a thousand women. But in the end, the Scriptures suggest, despite all his sin, Solomon returned to the Lord at the end. Think of David, who fell in adultery. Think of Abraham, the habitual liar. Think of Peter in the New Testament, who denied Jesus three times. All of those people fell badly at times, but in the end, their trust in God came through. God brought them back, and that showed itself in their eventual repentance. Now, here's where that's relevant to our question. In the end, you don't know whether someone is a Christian or not, do you? It's not up to us to decide, is this a person who is showing that they don't really have faith, or is this a backsliding believer? And the reason you don't know is because it doesn't matter in the end. What we care about is doing what we can to help them trust in Jesus now and in the future. And if by God's grace they come back and repent and trust in Jesus, it really doesn't matter whether they weren't saved or they were saved before, what matters is that they're saved now. And again, from my experience, I've seen both happen. I've seen people who led youth group, who are on parish council and who then walk away and get involved in ungodliness and all sorts of things and say, I don't want anything to do with church. And then when they come back, I've seen people in that sort of situation who then say, do you know what, even under it all, I never stopped believing in Jesus and it's wonderful that He's brought me back. And then I've seen people who are exactly the same and they come back and they say, do you know what, I never really understood the gospel until now. It's only now that I've grasped that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. You see, what matters is now. I hope that makes sense. Because sometimes I talk to Christians and they say, this person has drifted away, they're denying Jesus, but I know they made a commitment when they were young and so I won't do anything about it, I'll just trust that God will bring them back. No, the Scriptures never encourage that. You see, if someone is walking away from sound doctrine, if you have a brother or sister here at church who, who, who is denying gospel truths, or if someone is just sliding away from Christian fellowship, just no longer prioritising meeting with their brothers and sisters in Christ, or if someone is just getting entangled in the world and you can see them getting caught up in the world, or if someone is falling into unrepentant sin, don't waste your time trying to work out the theoretical, theological question of whether they are a genuine believer who's backsliding or someone who's proving they're not a genuine believer. It's irrelevant. And certainly don't just assume they'll be all right because you believe they trusted Jesus once. No, do what the Bible encourages you to do. Listen to what James says to us about this, James chapter 5. He says, my brothers, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his life from death and cover a multitude of sins. See, what does God want you to do? He wants you to love one another enough to turn people back. That's what God wants you to do. So if it's a matter of doubt, God wants you to encourage them and open the Scriptures with them. If it's a matter, if they're drifting, God wants you to chase them and love them. If it's a matter of unrepentant sin, God wants you to gently rebuke them. But whatever it is, God wants you to care enough to do something. 
Well, as we close, I want us to come back to ourselves. When we think about other people, I want us to come back to ourselves. And to close, I want to speak to you. That is, I want to speak to every person here individually. Uh, but because I can't do that, I'm going to do it collectively. And I just want to finish with this wonderful truth ringing in your ears. The first thing I want to say to you is, if you are someone who up to this point, whether you've been coming to church for 10 years or this is your first night here, if you are someone who up to this point has never turned to Jesus and trusted in Him now, and you are someone who has never had that incredible assurance of salvation, I want to say to you, do it now. Do it now. Take a hold of that wonderful assurance that you can have in Christ. And if you are someone who already trusts in Christ, like most of us here, I want to say to you, keep trusting Jesus. Hang on. Persevere. But in your moments of weakness and when you struggle, remember those words of Jesus. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Remember that your faith is really important. It's as precious as gold. But then remember that your eternal security doesn't depend primarily on your hold of God. It depends on God's hold of you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this wonderful promise of Scripture that You will never let one of Your children go. And so, Father, we pray that we will use the tools You have given us, Your Word, prayer, the fellowship of believers and the gift of your Holy Spirit so that we might persevere to the end in our faith. But Father, we thank you for this wonderful promise that it's you who are at work in us to help us persevere. And Father, for those known to us who at some time seem to express faith in Christ but now have walked away or who are living lives inconsistent with that, we pray that we might have the grace and the love to chase them, to challenge them, and more than anything, to speak the truth of your gospel to them. And if they are true believers, we pray that they will come back in repentance. And if they are not, we pray that they will come to believe in Christ for the first time and come and share with us the wonderful assurance of salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.